I think we need to make a little bit of a transition from the mountain lions and the poison oak and the ticks and the fires and the earthquakes. <laughs> it's information that we have to give to you, but I'm, I'm sorry it's so alarming. So, uh, actually nothing ever happens here. Uh, this, is, this is the equivalent of the Garden of Eden, which you will soon discover. It actually is now that we've passed that. Now we're up to Noah's Ark. But we'll go back to the Garden of Eden a little bit. It's only one chapter back, so uh, we're close enough. I thought I would start... uh, I I hadn't planned this, but uh, hearing all those uh, alarming things, I thought it would be lovely to frame this evening with uh, a poem from Hafez. Just sit there right now. Don't do a thing. Just rest. For your separation from God is the hardest work in this world. Let me bring you trays of food and something that you like to drink. You can use my soft words as a cushion for your head. I am very glad that you're here. The three of us are all glad that you're here. And as Quilly said, this is the first time that uh, we are teaching what we've decided to call an interfaith retreat, a retreat for people who uh, feel strongly connected to Western religious tradition and have found or hope to find, as all of us have, that uh, not only is it completely synchronous with this mindfulness teaching and Uh, blessing practice that are the core of what we do here at Spirit Rock. Um, But uh, that uh, when we have more than one tradition to call on, they are mutually enhancing. So I am very happy that you're here. I've looked forward to it a lot. Um, I want to do just for my introduction, uh, you know something about the three of us, but... Uh, I thought it would be lovely if we saw something about you, just so everybody could see. For how many people is this your first uh, retreat at Spirit Rock? Great. Welcome. You've come in a beautiful time of the year. Uh, We don't normally have so much rain in April, but we always have the deer And we have the extraordinary deer that aren't frightened by human beings because no one has frightened them in all the years that we've been here. So we have generations of uh, deer that live uh, in a peaceable kingdom. Um, How many people have never been on any retreat anywhere, sleeping overnight? Even some of them, good. Uh, How many people have uh, never done mindfulness practice with instructions? or metta practice with instructions, or uh, how many people have come from out of state and traveled long? Okay, well, we had a plan that probably we won't stay up very late tonight because probably many of you are tired. You probably noticed that I did not ask any questions about who has uh, which or what different uh, spiritual tradition along with their interest in Buddhism. And I won't ask it 
because it, I, one of the things that I want to talk about later on in my time to teach tonight is that uh, the extraordinary thing, I think, about looking closely at religious traditions is that if we look under the story, everyone has the same intention of the heart, the same, the same purpose in mind, the same interest in cultivating clarity and the goodness of heart that's its natural reflection. So that part we don't have to tell each other. It's extraordinary that we can all be here and do this practice together. So that's, I just want to tell you hello, and uh, Norman and Mary will each tell you hello, and then I'll teach a little bit more. Uh, I, my topic for tonight comes from my father who said, never teach anything without clarifying for people what's the purpose of this, what, where are you going with it. So I want to talk a little bit more about intention. After we all say hello, I'll do that. After I do that, Mary will talk about the way we live here in community for these five days. And after Mary does that, and we all agree that we are, in fact, going to live like that as a community, then Norman will teach our first introduction to meditation practice, and we'll sit a little bit together. And we'll do that all, I think, in the next hour. So, welcome. So I'm, I'm Norman Fisher, and uh, it is uh, really delightful to be here with you. The hills are so green. It's, it's shocking and delightful. Um, as Sylvia said, we've never quite done this before, this particular retreat in this way, where we're going to try to uh, practice with and think about and open our hearts to a, a range of stories, a range of possible pathways to, to deepening uh, our human life. And we don't know uh, exactly what we're going to do, or how it's going <laughs> to turn out. We, we haven't figured it out in advance. <clears throat> and so uh, I feel like we're all in this together. Uh, we're going to be, I'm sure, uh, reacting and um, uh, speaking out of our experience uh, of you, uh, what you're needing, what you're feeling, uh, what your practice is drawing forth, uh, that's what will be uh, the substance of our retreat. So that's wonderful. Uh, and I look forward to seeing what happens. I'm quite curious. So thank you very much for coming. I also want to welcome you. I'm Mary Orr. And I've been thinking about, as I've been also looking forward to this first retreat, that I teach a lot in the Quaker world, as it happens. And one of the things I have loved about being in the Quaker world is that it feels like nothing in me gets left out my Christian heritage can be talked about because I can still talk Christian pretty well. 
and my Buddhist practice is why I'm there and what we're doing together. And um, there's even a Jungian piece of me that lots of Quakers talk pretty well. So, you know, it's all there. And so it's really delightful to feel that I can come here to Spirit Rock, which is really very much a home for me, and to know that for all of us, we can all be all here. And so whatever it is, that background that Sylvia isn't talking about tonight, whatever it is for you or interest that maybe spans more than one tradition, um, we can all relax and let it be here and see what happens when those parts of ourselves touch each other. So it's a wonderful time to be here in the spring with the deer. Nobody mentioned the turkeys. They're usually, particularly if the sun comes out, they will be out in full force. And, um, and if it rains, it's a great time to meditate and relax into the silence. So I'm very happy to be here and hope that we all have a really good retreat. And actually, after what Quilly said a bit ago, I actually hope that the teachers wake up too. <laughs> In every sense of the word wake up. <laughs> In every sense of that. That's what we've come to do. And in a sense, we've come, um, uh, we come on retreat uh, where the instruction is uh, do nothing at all. Let the mind rest. And it's resting in the service of allowing the mind to wake up to the greater truth and a greater wisdom behind the captivating uh, stuff of our daily life that often holds our attention so bound that we forget what we know is really true. We forget on, on all the levels of knowing uh, that we're not separate from each other, that it's an amazing thing to be alive. I often say to people at the beginning of a retreat that uh, we'll give instructions all during the retreat and every day in the morning and throughout the day we'll say phrases like, continuing to elaborate the instructions or now adding to the instruction that we began. But I want to say to people always as we begin that if you just came here and didn't have an instruction at all, ever, other than the schedule, and if you did it, if you got up in the morning and you came and sat and kept the silence and kept the form and sat for a while and walked for a while and sat for a while and walked for a while, and had a meal and sat for a while and walked for a while, sat for a while. When Chloe said you don't need a watch, you really don't. If the bell rings and you're sitting, it probably means to walk. And if it rings and you're walking, it means to sit down, unless it's lunchtime or dinner time. So actually, it's a very, very simplified uh, structure in the day. And my sense of it and my confidence and my trust and my faith is that the mind by itself is waiting for that sort of space to settle down. And in that space, the kinds of answers that we wait for and hope for, the kinds of remembrances and reassurances that we said, yes, I know that, in any, in any aspect of our life, just arise. In a sense, this is a Sabbath day. You know, when we, we prepared for this retreat, 
and we thought about dates and we worked them out. We particularly wanted these dates in the spring uh, close to but not right up against Holy Week so that we get to go home and then Holy Week is next week, which this year is as close as it ever gets to the Passover meal in terms of integrated holidays. <clears throat> but to talk about that the, the story of Holy Week and to talk about being reborn and to talk about life everlasting and to talk about out of slavery and to talk about liberation. This is the perfect time of year to talk about that. So we really wanted to have it near enough but not in the middle of Holy Week and we've managed that. And we wanted to have it so that it didn't intrude on anybody's Sabbath. A number of people are clergy and another, and many other people probably are participants in Sabbath services. So we start on Sunday evening, so people's Sunday Sabbath is finished if they have it. And we finish on Friday by noon, so the people that are going home to prepare for a Saturday Sabbath get to do that. And in a sense, what I want to start by saying is this whole time that we have organized between the Sabbaths is one long Sabbath. That I actually think of mindfulness practice as a Sabbath of the mind because the instructions are don't work at anything. Be with your experience as it arises one moment after the next. Greet it like you greet a guest that comes to your house on the Sabbath. Just greet it cordially. Don't fight with it. This is this moment. It's the only moment that it could be that really in one way of describing uh, the quality of uh, mindful, uh, mindfulness as it exists in the mind and heart or the way to practice mindfulness so that it takes on that quality is to have a mind prepared to meet this moment without needing to change it in any way. It's a mind without imperative. It's a mind that's able to greet this moment, acknowledge it, feel it, accept it, accommodate it, respond to it, but not need for it to be otherwise. It's a mind without imperative. It's a mind um, that isn't coercive. It's a non-working mind. It's a Sabbath mind. It's a mind that's peaceful. I was thinking today about the ways that we say, uh, that we greet people liturgically uh, and sometimes just in the course of just living a life. But all of the traditions that I know have some way of saying, Salam Alaikum, peace be with you, and also with you, in all of the languages that we know. And thinking about how much that peace that we wish for other people is the peace that we wish for in our own hearts. I was thinking about how appropriate it is that we do this retreat in silence and that really this is a retreat where the emphasis is on personal and interior experience. And often when people come together uh, in in an interreligious context, um, I noticed today when I looked in the uh, in the catalog to see how we had described this retreat, and I particularly like the line that says, um, 
beginning to define and embrace a spiritual path that both honors individual traditions and sees beyond them. I think that when we talk on the level of what is your experience, we are seeing beyond the form of separate spiritual lineages. We're seeing beyond this the story of the lineage and really we're seeing the story of our own heart. And because we're doing that, then everybody's story becomes the same because we all have the same falling in and out of confusion. We all have the same challenges of life. We all have the mind becoming upset and getting confused with the upset and frightened by the upset and struggling by the upset and self-absorbed with the upset and by paying attention to it, being mindful moment to moment. After some period of time, if we attend to the upset, there's some moment of grace, some sufficient moment of loosening of the confusion where we see around it. Say, oh, that's what happened to me. I became frightened, or this happened, or that happened. And then I forgot what would be the right response, but now I remember what's the right response. I didn't see before, and now I see. It's a line out of the hymn that, that we all know. was blind, but now I see. Every time that happens, every time the mind lets go of its confusion and remembers what it deeply, deeply knows, that there's a way to live this life acknowledging challenge and responding to it with compassion, with appreciation, with celebration, at least with companionship, with friendship, with appreciation for this possibility of a life. In that moment, there's that moment of recognition. Oh, yes. When uh, Mary said we can bring all of us here, I, I thought to myself, people have asked me in the past, how do you teach differently when you teach at a Jewish retreat or when you teach at a Buddhist retreat like at Spirit Rock or anyplace else? And I say, you know, I always teach the same exact thing. I even tell the same stories. Well, the only difference is I have to remember where I cover my head with, uh, and where I don't, and where I do and do not say amen. <laughs> so here we are. I think in those moments where the mind lets go and it suddenly sees clearly and it is free of suffering, what we all do is we say hallelujah, praise God. I think we'll talk a lot this week about that ability to, that, that predilection that the mind has to fall into confusion and the ability that it has to pull itself out of confusion by paying attention, by being mindful. We'll particularly teach mindfulness. We'll teach a blessing practice, which here we call metta practice, the, the friendship practice. But really, blessing practice is making every moment, every person, every experience your friend and wishing it well. So we'll talk about those practices. It's really the practice of remembering that there's another way to live, that the mind has gotten caught and noticing it and saying, what can I do now? That all the practices that we'll share, the practice of mindfulness or 
or metta or blessing, the practice of waiting, practice of uh, expecting a revelation, the practice of the practice of living in community are all practices that we use in order to clear the mind of confusion so that we can choose wisely. I had such an experience the other night. I flew home from Denver. And I, well, I'll tell you the story because it's so remarkable. I was standing on one of those lines, you know, where you're going to get your, um, you're going to go through the security. So it was quite a long line and it went this way and this way and this way. You know, they, you, you go this way and then you double back and forward and back and forward. So I'm kind of standing there and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I become aware that the people behind me are talking to each other in a not friendly voice. Two people, I can hear two voices talking to each other. And one of them is saying to the other, it's your fault. And then the other one says, no, it's not, it's your fault. And the first one said, tell me how it's my fault. Prove it to me, it's my fault. And the first one said, why should I prove it to you? It's just real my, I, take it from me, it's your fault. And I realized that they must have been late for their plane and now there's this long line and they're both frightened. I look around two young people and they're clearly traveling together and they're probably lovers or partners or something or other. They're going on a holiday and they're beginning by messing it up. So, and I'm thinking to myself, I had such an urge to turn, it's your fault, no, it's your fault, prove it to me. I had such an urge to turn around and say, look, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't even matter if you get on this plane because they have other planes after this. And you don't even know that this is a good plane to get on. Maybe the next plane is a safe plane and this is not a safe plane. You don't know anything. Don't mess up the moment. But I didn't do that. I thought about it. I didn't do it. (laughs) So then we go through the security and we come out the other side. And the security, these days you have to take off practically everything. Take off your vest. I was coming from Denver. I had several layers on you. Take off everything. Take off shoes, push it all through. It's an enterprise. So on the other side, I'm getting all dressed, as you do, because I can't take four boxes with me. So put on a lot of it back. And I realize that the people in front of me, also a couple right in front of me, also getting dressed right there, just ahead of me, are taking time to give each other a kiss. You know, not like a huge, passionate embrace, but mwah, mwah, you know, on the face, kissing each other as they're getting dressed. And I, you know, I thought, you know, it's a funny place, you know, because it's kind of pressured to move along. And I thought, you know, maybe they're congratulating each other that they made it through the security. <laughs> but here's these people ahead of me, and they're kissing each other, and the people behind me are fighting with each other. And I thought to myself, they were like bookends in the choices that we get to make in our life. We can fight with it, we can get upset and fight with each other, or we can get upset and kiss each other. And we can do that with another person, and we can do that with this moment of our experience. And I thought, I'm going to remember this moment, because I'm going to teach the whole of what I teach, in terms of seeing, what am I doing in this, in this moment? Am I fighting with this experience? Or am I giving it a kiss and say, Let's, what can we do here? So, really, I, I, I think we're going to talk about mindfulness as paying attention so that we can make wise choices. And we'll talk about it in the special language that honors other traditions. So I, I just want to tell you one, one funny sort of interpolated story. Uh, during the week I spoke with Mary and uh, I spoke with Norman 
And we did plan uh, you know, more or less what we were going to do. And I said, uh, uh, I said, this is, you know, since I teach a lot uh, away from here, I've certainly taught lots of Jewish retreats away from here. I said, it's just the same as teaching at Spirit Rock, but you don't use the B word. But uh, you don't tell Buddhist stories. You tell gospel stories. You quote scriptures. I said, we, we won't use the B word then. But both of them said to me, can we use the G word? <laughs> so I said, I think it would be a good idea to use the G word because these are people who use the G word. But I said, even more than that, we should say the P word. Now, the P word is more problematic than the G word, I find, because the P word, pray, is a really an interesting thing to say. It makes so many storms in people's minds. To whom, why, does it work? So many stories. And yet, as human beings, we're prayerful. You know, we just are. We really want things to work out well for ourselves and for other people. And there's some ways in which I think this entire practice is a prayer, not only for the times that we articulate petitions for ourselves or other people in our minds or out loud, but the very sitting down on a zafu with the intention to be present to the mind moment to moment is as if we made the prayer, Maybe I, may I meet this moment with an open heart. May I be present for this moment of my experience so that I can understand it. May I untie those knots in my mind that prevent me from seeing clearly. Without saying it, the act of having come on retreat is itself a prayer for some more clarity, for some more wisdom. I think we are having one long sabbatical, one long Sabbath, and that we are praying without ceasing the instruction in the way of the pilgrim, pray without ceasing, that every moment of living intentionally together is a prayer. So the last thing to say is, um, I talked with my friend uh, Jack Cornfield today, because we passed, he's just gotten home from being away from a couple of months and talked about the retreat. And... uh, I told him that same story about the conversation about not saying the B word, saying the G word, saying the P word. He said, oh, definitely. He said, say the G and the P word. He said, also say the S and the D word. Said the S and the D word. He said, yeah, talk about the fact that all of this is sacred practice and that actually it's divine. So I said, I will. Many years ago, when I was beginning this practice, I was on a retreat down in the desert in Yucca Valley where we still teach. And Jack was my teacher, and I was in a group, uh, as all of you will be tomorrow and the next day. Um, Half of you will be assigned to groups tomorrow to meet with us, and we'll talk about practice the other half the next day. Next day, individual interviews, and the next day, individual interviews. I was in a group, and someone asked a question, which Jack answered, which informed my practice in a way that an instruction could not have. I just got it. So I hope you do. Someone said, here we had been sitting day after day after day in quiet and walking quietly, not looking at each other particularly. 
And someone said, um, this is such a dry practice. They said, you know, no singing, no touching, no chanting, no talking, no nothing. Uh, just this sitting and walking, not even acknowledging each other. They said, where, no bowing. They said, where is the bhakti in this practice? Where is the heart in this practice? Where is the devotional aspect of this practice? That's what bhakti means. And Jack reflected a little bit and he said, you know, I think this is the most bhakti practice of all. He said, in essence, when we sit down, we are, in fact, saying, here I am, God, do whatever you want with me. And I so understood that. I so got that practice. I understood it in my body more than I even understood it in my mind. And in subsequent years, I understand it more and more about not struggling with the moment, being there for it. I've forgotten what time it was when I started, so I don't know if I've used up my 20 minutes. Have I used up my 20 minutes? Yeah? (laughs) Then I'll leave the next poem for tomorrow. Salam alaikum. Peace be with you. I hope this is a wonderful week for you. And now Mary will tell you. One of the things we often talk about at the beginning of retreats here is how we've come to a place of refuge or sanctuary. And in the Buddhist retreats here, we officially take the refuges and take the precepts. We're not going to do that tonight, but I wanted to talk a little about the notion of refuge and sanctuary. I often rejoice that I hang out with people who have the good sense to gather together and shut up. <laughs> and we all get quiet. And, um, and we drop off a lot of our everyday life. And we'll be talking about that in the instructions as we go on. As Sylvia said, the day is, is really structured with lots of bells and lots of instructions. And... So there's a way in which just that creates, it it does, it creates a Sabbath, you know, it's all taken care of. There's nothing, you make that last phone call tonight if you have to or whatever, but there's nothing that you have to do now for the next few days except to be here and to follow the instructions with as much heart and enthusiasm as you can bring to it and allow this time to unfold itself. It's a great gift. It is one long Sabbath time for all of us. And so in this sanctuary, in this refuge place, there are some 
different things that I think are worth just noticing that are aspects. You could think of them as aspects of a refuge or a sanctuary. One is that um, there is the nature of it is that we wake up a little bit, that there is some attention given to our experience and um, there isn't much else to do because we're sitting and being quiet and so you give your attention to your experience and as we do that, sometimes we see things that we haven't seen before or we understand things or it might just be, you know, you might just be out there. I remember a walk up here about a year ago and there was a deer and I looked at the deer and I went, oh my goodness, the inside of the deer's ear is this beautiful rose color. I'd never seen that before, the inside of the deer's ear. So there was this little waking up to just that piece of reality about the deer's ear. For you it might be the turkey or the sky or the way the raindrops hang on the leaf, whatever it is. Or it may be some deep truth about your own being, some sadness or or place that's been knotted up in you that begins to unknot and you see see more clearly. So this place of awakening, of seeing, of wisdom, if you will, is part of the characteristic of this community and this time together. It's also true that I think we're all here because we are seeking that which is true, that which is so, and willing to go really deeply into our experience to see what is true and what is so. And it doesn't matter, probably to any of us, what we've been told or or what's the conventional way of seeing things, that we keep looking more and more and more. What, what is the nature of this incredible mystery? It's a mystery is a word that I like a lot when I think about practice. And what is the nature of this? And my own sense is that I'll never see it all. That I just, as long as I live, there's more to see and there's a deeper truth and I go farther and farther. And so that willingness to look for the truth and the truth itself is part of this refuge. And then that we are gathered as a community to do this, a community of people who are on a journey. The Buddha sometimes um, addresses his monks and he tells them that they are companions on the way. And I like that term a lot, that we are all companions on the way. And we each, in, in our own particular way, whether we're using the P word or the S word or the G word or the B word or any of those things, you know. I mean, there's, there's a wonderful story that I like about how, you know, theologians come together and they argue and mystics come together and they laugh. And so I think we'll probably be laughing a lot during this time. And as we, as we meet and gather and practice, um, we support each other. And there's nothing, you know, when I walk into this hall... Sometimes if, if we've been doing interviews or something, I come, we come in a little late sometimes and you're all sitting so straight and so quiet and no matter what's going on inside, you look great on the outside. And it's so inspiring. 
And I know that you feel it too, that as you come in or as you do walking practice or, or watch somebody eating a banana with such mindfulness and attention, and it just inspires your practice and we go deeper with it. So all of those, the community, the truth, and awakeness are characteristics of this refuge, of this sanctuary, of this Sabbath that we are creating together. One of the things I also think about as we talk about the creation of a sanctuary or a refuge is that it's safe. That we come here no matter what's been going on in our lives, how much busyness, how much stress or distress, how many arguments of the sort that Sylvia was describing. And we're here, and for a period of time, it's safe. And we live in a way here that allows that safety. And so that's one way of describing it, is um, the, to look at the five precepts that we've used, that we use in the Buddhist world, but they're precepts that are pretty much characteristic of any spiritual practice and any spiritual group that's gathered together. So we know that we're very, very respectful of life. We're not killing things when we're here. And that every creature that you encounter, the smallest ant that might be crawling across the sink in your room to the mountain lions that Quilly talked about. And there are all these fabulous sentient beings that we share the planet with and we respect their lives and honor them and, and create the kind of safety that knows every being here at Spirit Rock is safe. That's astounding, isn't it, really, when you think about it? That no one needs to fear for their lives in this place. We agree that we're not going to take stuff that isn't ours. We don't take. We are, you're in a really wonderful um, culture here where you've given up a lot to, be, to come here. It's a kind of a renunciation. And then you will be offered what you need. You will be offered bells to move you around and you will be, you're offered your bed and, and the buildings that hold our practice. You'll be offered food on a regular basis. And so the request is that we not take anything that isn't offered. See if we can live in that kind of, of, of uh, within those parameters of not taking. We, as is often true in any kind of gathering of people who are practicing, any kind of practice, invite you to keep your sexual energy pulled in. That this isn't no matter, you know, you may see somebody who is just what you've been looking for at this retreat, just the right size and shape, and they've got the nicest shawl, and you know that this person is for you. And that might be true, actually. Maybe they are. But we invite you not to um, follow that during the retreat. Be interested in the energy itself and not to express it. And so we hold our sexual energy and we're celibate during the course of the retreat. And then, of course, really interestingly, 
as I said, we're, we all know that there's something wonderful about being silent. And so we agree to be silent. So this really creates a space in which maybe for a few days you don't have to worry about is someone going to say something that's painful or am I going to say something that's painful because you're not going to talk. So that's simple. And you'll talk to us. If you need to talk to Quilly or the cooks as you're doing your job, that's fine. But it's pretty simple. It's about, you know, should I chop the carrots this way or that way or how do I get a tube of toothpaste or, or talking to us about your practice. So speech is, um, is really held very carefully and wonderfully here simply by not doing it. And then, of course, because it kind of comes around full circle, doesn't it? Because what we're wanting to do is to wake up. Then we also um, ask that we not use any substances that cloud the mind. So no recreational drugs, no alcohol, that sort of thing. This does not mean your medication. Please take any medication you would normally take um, because we need you to do that and you need to do that, but not things that would otherwise cloud the mind. So I'd like to invite you just for a moment to sit. Just don't, don't change your position formally. You'll get to do that in a minute with Norman. But just, just we'll sit quietly and reflect for a moment about coming into the sanctuary. Notice for a moment that you are here and that you have come to a place of refuge. Perhaps reflect a moment on awakeness, on truth, on what it is to be a gathered community. And then just, in your own way, commit yourself to behaving in a way that is kind toward every being who is here at Spirit Rock with you. Not harming, not killing, not taking, keeping difficult energy, sexual energy, the energy of speech completely controlled, keeping the mind clear. And just notice for a moment. Let yourself relax into the idea that you're here in a community of people who have all just committed to the same thing that you have. I wanted to close this portion with a poem from Hadowidge, who was a French Beguine, a French woman practitioner in around, I think, the 13th century, but I might be wrong. It might be the 14th or the 12th, but in there. She says, You who want knowledge, seek the oneness within. There you will find the clear mirror 
already waiting. You who want knowledge, seek the oneness within. There you will find the clear mirror already waiting. So I'd like to take the next uh, 20 or 25 minutes to just briefly give some meditation instruction and then uh, we can sit before going to bed. And I think we, we all uh, feel like we don't want to practice in any elaborate, complicated way. But just uh, as, we've, as we've been saying, uh, to sit uh, with openness, uh, feeling uh, the sanctuary, the safety that we're sharing together, feeling the silence. I think it's good to begin a period of meditation by taking a great deal of care uh, with awareness of the body, awareness of the posture. So whether you're sitting on a chair or a bench or a cushion, to begin first with bringing your attention to your uh, sit bones, to your rear end sitting on the cushion or the bench or the chair and feel the support of what you're sitting on which is in turn supported by the floor and by the earth. Feel a connection uh, with the mother earth that holds us all in place and supports us every moment of our lives. and let your body uh, be held. Give your weight uh, to the chair, to the cushion. And take some time in the beginning of each and every period of sitting to feel that connection and feel that support. And then uh, 
if you, you'll see that if you rotate your pelvis forward just a little bit and arch the small of your back inward very slightly and lift up the top part of the back of your head up toward the ceiling, the whole upper body seems to lift up. It's as if you're, you're freeing uh, your spirit to be uplifted. So we're sitting right in the middle of the human paradox, earth-bound and divine. Feeling uh, support of the earth and, and also feeling the lifting quality of the spirit in the body. And your shoulders will be back, your heart area will literally open up when you lift up the upper part of your body, when you let it be lifted from within. So, in the beginning of every period, take your time with all this. And let this, let your body find its way to this. Don't impose something. But from within, let your body find its way to being uplifted and grounded. Tuck your chin in a little bit so that you're not looking upward, but your head is level. Your hands can be either on your on your uh, knees or thighs, palms up or down. They can be folded in your lap. Or you can use uh, the traditional meditation mudra of the left palm on top of the right palm with the thumb tips just touching, holding an oval uh, in your belly, outside your belly. And let your whole awareness uh, pay attention to the body from the top of the head, uh, the forehead, the neck. Uh, the small muscles around the eyes and in the cheeks and jaw. The shoulders, chest especially the spine, from the base of the spine all the way up. And let your body uh, come to rest. Bring your mind and your body together in one place. Take some time to, to arrive completely where you are. And then uh, begin to notice your breathing. 
you can, uh, if, you're, if you're used to noticing the breath uh, at the nostril, you can practice like that. If you're used to breathing, uh, noticing the breath uh, in the belly as the belly rises and falls, that's a good way. Just gently bring the attention to the breath and bring the breath to life with your awareness, feeling the breath going out and the breath coming, coming in. Breathing uh, with awareness of every inhale and awareness of every exhale. Feeling the breath calm the body, stabilize the body. Truly, our, our effort in sitting is just to sit aware of the present moment of being alive. This present moment of being alive is immeasurably deep and full. But we use the feeling of the body and of the breath as a way of bringing us back. It's not really about being aware of the body or the breath. We don't have to worry about doing that perfectly or imperfectly. It's just something that brings us back to this uh, immense uh, moment of being alive uh, right here, being an expression in this place where we are of something uh, immeasurably beyond ourselves. So yes, um, to sit, truly sit with awareness in the present moment of being alive is to pray, is to make uh, connection with the divine, to find the divine in time, uh, in space. And if we take a great deal of care in the beginning of every period to establish uh, this gentle awareness, then when, as inevitably happens, the mind begins to wander, pulled into its usual patterns, its habitual patterns, then it will be easier to come back, just to notice, ah, yes, that's there. And gently come back just to being present 
So we come back maybe many times in a period of meditation, gently, patiently, with, with interest in what has drawn us away, but uh, without obsession or excessive interest, just come back. things that arise uh, in our mind or in our body in meditation practice are always important. There, there's no way not to do the practice perfectly. And whatever comes uh, needed to be there. And we learn from it by letting go and coming back. So, so simple. And if we can practice this way on our cushions, and when we stand up from sitting, when we walk, when we rest tonight, when we go to sleep, we can be aware carefully of the present moment, of the body, of the breath, of what's arising in the mind and heart, always coming back uh, to where we are. And as we continue uh, this way, uh, the mind becomes more quiet. And we can taste some peace. And we can understand many things about our own life and about life. Not by trying to understand anything, but just by paying attention, coming back uh, to the present moment. So let's, let's sit in silence for about 10 minutes.
This talk was given by Sylvia Burstein at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on April 2, 2006. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.